Hey everyone, this is Michael from the Fire and Bones podcast. The next two weeks are going to be a little different. Ethan and I had the opportunity to interview Mark Mennell, the author of When Darkness Seems My Closest Friend, Reflections on Life and Ministry with Depression. We thought this afforded us an opportunity to discuss the subject of depression as candidly as possible. In order to do this, Nathan and I thought it would be best to share our own experiences first before interviewing Mark. And so this week, Nathan and I are going to share our own stories of life and ministry in the midst of sorrow and depression. And next week, we're going to give you our interview with Mark in full. So we hope these two weeks might give you hope, might encourage you, especially if you're dealing with depression, to seek help. You can check the show notes for relevant links and information, and we hope you will enjoy this episode of the Fire and Bones podcast. Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I'm Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it, but most of all, share this podcast with a pastor you know might benefit from it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. There was a there's a moment for me that was probably more important, uh, that, that was very telling in my experience through dealing with depressive states. I was at a local association meeting here in Austin, and there were eight or so pastors at a table. That day, our lunch discussion was about dealing with depression and kind of sorrowful states. And we had a series of questions that we were working through and discussing how we dealt with those things as pastors. The, so the question was asked, who at the table has dealt with this on a severe level, more than just sat on Monday after church or, you know, you had a low day because something happened. And we went slowly, starting with the person on my right, one by one around the table, and it was, no, 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 that's not me. No, it's not me. And, and I, when the question was asked, I immediately knew my answer was yes. And I listened to all of these no's go around the table, and I, I said yes. And I'm thankful there was not a, a room, you know, a table full of guys that had just dropped their jaw and didn't know what to say, but there was a bit of, well, we just we just had seven or eight yeses, and now we have a no. What what do we even do with this? But for me, it was an an important time to say among other men, some of them who are, are a bit of strangers to me, others who I'm closer to, to just say to just say, yeah, that's me. Yes, that is. I would describe my experience like that, and and I and I don't think that I'm overinflating. A few days of sadness to say that. Uh, I feel confident that that's been an experience in the terms it was described. Uh, that was that was a helpful that was a helpful day. 
I have felt more comfortable over the years talking to various individuals uh, about my experience because of that. So I'm grateful for that opportunity, for that lunch, for those brothers, um, and uh, thankful to talk about it more and more over the years. It's a big, um, it's a big deal. It can it can be it can be tough. Um, do you look back and think on a moment where you thought this was the first time I I really kind of voiced out loud to someone in a significant spot that this has been some kind of my experience? Yeah, I mean, uh, we I I went through in moving here, coming to Tuscaloosa, um, just a a season. Uh, that probably lasted about a year, maybe a little longer than a year, of a, a really in, intense and, and pretty deep depression and had no idea what was going on at all. And, um, you know, it just, it was a, a season in my life that I, I would never want back, that's for sure. And there are times where I think some of the residue from that is still left over. But I want to, I want to ask like just a couple questions about your, um, time. We can talk about me in a little bit, but, um, what, how did you realize, how did you know that you, that you had to answer this question yet? Because I had been through, um, significant seasons of being down when I could not put my finger on a sin or a trial, and it probably was some combination of many things, but I couldn't say, I, I'm feeling sorrow for this sin. I couldn't say, you know, this relative passed away and I'm dealing with it in a difficult way. Uh, I couldn't say that the burden of the uh, being a pastor is heavy, uh, although that is true. There just seemed to be, uh, to use uh, the phrase uh, from Winston Churchill and from Mark Menel, is the kind of black dog that follows you around. Just kind of everything I touch, everything, even going into Scripture, even going to the Lord, even going into prayer, had a shadow that followed it around. Everything I did. And, and it just took you to a place of having trouble getting up, out of bed, having trouble getting your eyes opened and, and getting uh, to the office, getting to your meeting with others. Prayer was a heavier load. Scripture uh, could, often seemed disillusioned, uh, difficult uh, to handle, uh, just like everything's in a fog, like a, a, a spiritual dizziness. Now this sound, I'm probably, As I describe this to some, this might just sound like you know, kind of get over it and have it, you know, get on with it. And that's a, I, I understand that. I, I want to tell myself that uh, while I was in it. But I, I think that kind of prolonged, um, difficult to discern, un unable to discern where it comes from uh, season. And for for me, my experience has been that it's kind of, I, I don't know if you know, radio waves very well. I don't, but I know enough to know that like FM waves are very sharp and fast and AM waves are kind of rolling signal waves. Uh, my experience has kind of been that rolling 
wave. Uh, maybe instead of a, a wave crashing onto the shore, you know, and, and causing, you know, a, a, a moment, an event, more like those deep swells on the ocean that just go up and down. That's just been my experience, uh, I think, for, for many, many years. Um, and sometimes that that swell of what we'll call depression uh, is just a, a force that lasts for a season and uh, kind of taints everything I everything I try to do um, my own my own thoughts my own prayer my own state so that's kind of what I have in mind yeah so during this time you're obviously a pastor and you're counseling people and and meeting with them in your office and uh, uh, preaching week in and week out teaching building blocks and all kinds of uh, different classes and things like that and and um, and counseling people and stuff and so how do you how are you reconciling the way you internally you're feeling in the midst of this while yet also you're having to tell people what you know to be true deep down even though you may not really feel it at the moment yeah I I think I think I've been able to this is not true for everyone but I feel like I've been able to maintain a narrative in my own mind that I know that I'm different than I feel. I know that what I feel is not telling me the truth. So I feel like I can I can preach the word with confidence, even though my, my soul uh, feels empty. I can counsel the word in confidence, even though I know I can't even feel its effects. And honestly, it has probably helped me in many ways. And in fact, I, I wish I would have brought this up. But Spurgeon talks about the fainting fits of the pastor being an aid to the pastor that he might know what his sheep, he might know what his uh, his church members are, are feeling and going through. So when, so when I counsel, it actually helps me a, a great deal to think. Uh, this is not as simple as walk into my office, say I have a problem, and I turn to a verse, and I show it to you, and you walk out the door with the answer and everything's fixed. I mean, it. I mean, I don't know about you, but my counseling has never been that simple. Uh, sometimes it is very clear you, you have this issue. Here, here is how Scripture applies to that. Um, but very often, people are going through difficult things, and they leave more hopeful. They leave better. They leave encouraged. But it's not not totally fixed. Some some things are are long road. So it's helped me some as well. Uh, but I I think that. By God's grace alone, been able to maintain um, kind of the, you know what you see in the Psalms. Uh, my life is terrible, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Lamentations three. So I I've been able to maintain that. I I think now um, some days that truth feels closer than others. Um, so. Um, I think that that's just kind of how I would respond to that. I don't know if, if that makes sense, even. Yeah. Uh, how did so? How is this? Like, what is your marriage going through at this time? Well, again, I would say it's not like a time. It's not like that one time I experienced that. There are uh, swells in the deep waters that will, you know, currents under the surface. 
that will come and go. And so I would say it's 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 been multiple multiple ways, and I'm I know that it affects uh, my marriage in in various ways. Uh, my willingness to talk, talk, my bandwidth for, uh, you know, frustration, my bandwidth for patience and calm in the home, my uh, ability to carry a lot of things at one time swells up and down with it. Um, you know, you, I, I can become more prone to either anger or kind of a silent despondency in those seasons uh, and it creates a difficulty where my my wife can often sniff that something is you know awry in my heart and mind um, but I often don't even know how to put it into words I don't even know uh, wh where it comes from or where it goes uh, it just it feels like a wanting to give up it, it feels like an exhaustion it, it feels like a purposelessness and it feels like uh, uh, you know m mopey is too uh, childish of a word I think um, and so yeah it, it, it definitely affects that and definitely creates challenges for love for affection for uh, connecting with one another seems like a lot of what it, you know is happening <clears throat> what you're describing and and I know certainly what I've felt and and having talked with pastors and things like that I, I think all of them are kind of in the sim in a very similar boat at least that there's a, a nature to the pastorate that is particularly heavy mm -hmm. and taxing on the mm -hmm. mind and the soul and it seems like I, I think it, in spite of best efforts on most pastors in all the relationships that the pastor is in, he's the one giving. And, and that, that can be particularly taxing. And, and it seems like when you come home to your family, that's, you don't want to be giving again. Is, is that fair? Is that accurate to describe it that way? Yeah, I I think so, but I I think there's there is something that's an inerrant, or something that is kind of innate in in ministry, which is you're always the pastor. Every room you sit in, you're the pastor. Even uh, with my elders, I'm the the lead elder, and that is it, it is it is difficult. But I think there is there needs to be a distinction between hey, you're the pastor. You need to rest and have a friend to talk to when you're doing your best, right? That there, there, there is no, there is no place where a a, a pastor or, or anyone can be completely on the counselor side of the table all the time. So when you're doing your best, you need that. I think if you're experiencing uh, depression, deep encounters with with darkness in your own soul, then it makes everything more difficult and there is a there's there's a temptation to go from that really quickly to kind of the woe is me no one un understands me no one can bear this weight that, that's a, a regular uh temptation for me um so the answer is yes to that it creates a challenge in 
that it only multiplies a challenge that already already exists. Uh, and it, it, it creates a challenge to where I think I don't have anyone to talk to. It creates... Yeah, and that, I mean, that seems like the challenge that even Elijah's going through, you know, coming off of Carmel uh, mm-hmm. to some mm-hmm. degree, right? Is is I'm the only mm-hmm. one, and to which God corrects him. Mm-hmm. You know, no, there's 7,000 that haven't built, bowed the knee to, right, to Baal. Right. And, and it, it's a... It's an incredible temptation as well. I think on that side, you know, it's it's. I think it's such a strange, uh, if you want to call it a profession, uh, to be in the pastorate, that you, the pressures are weird and and it's 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 sometimes you're you're the the pressure and the temptation and the sin you fall into is what seems like on the outside doing the right thing mm-hmm. you know you okay you're you're living let's say you're living a, a, a life of holiness maybe and you're preaching you know really well and the temptation that you're falling into or the sin that you're immersed in is thinking you're the only one who's living this <laughs> way and you're the only righteous one and look at all these you know, scumbags out mm-hmm. here, right? Mm-hmm. And and then so there's this, it's this very strange, isolating feeling. I think sometimes where you're, you kind of put yourself out on an island and you're in sin. And because you're always the pastor in every room, there's no one around you to say, "Hey, snap out of it." What are you mm-hmm. thinking? You know, what what is it that mm-hmm. you're doing here? Is that is that fair? Do you feel that too? Yeah, I I think it's. In in depression, there are temptations to sin one way or the other. In my experience, one has been uh, extreme pride and hubris. No one knows me. No one sees me. No one cares. No no one gets me. And I am excelling and serving and providing in all these ways. And it is a chest thumping, boasting sin. And 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 it in its cover in my own mind, it it gets vindicated by my feelings of exhaustion, depression, and, and things like that, which bring me bring me low. And then I I blame those feelings on being exhausted for being so incredible in my own mind. So that's one sin for temptation, and uh, one temptation for sin. The other one would be is just meaninglessness, useless. Um, effect you know no effect on anyone in ministry. Why even go to the office? Why show up? Nothing matters. No one listens. This is pointless. The the despondent, nothing matters, right? And I could I can swirl from one end of those to the other in twenty four hours easily if I'm if I'm not careful in, in into that sin in my in my mind. So it, it creates a, a swirl uh, of challenges uh, that the, the depression itself, the the waves of sorrow, is what I'll call it from now on, that the Lord brings in and lets into your life that, as far as you can tell, have nothing to do with sin, have, have nothing to do with trial, are tempt, become test and trial places, temptation. There's temptation to sin down there, but that sorrow is in itself sin. That low point, the dark place the Lord has allowed you to go in, isn't sin itself. 
but there are temptations to sin that are stronger down there than than when you might be up on the surface. That that, that may not even be true. Uh, when I'm doing well, I'm just as tempted to to pride. Um. So yeah, the ha- having those temptations and discerning those temptations from the experience and the the spiritual or mental emotional state that you're in it has been helpful to me to discern between those two how do you so you i don't know if you're the same way as i am i I get the feeling that you are and we we talk quite often and it seems like you are but in study of the scripture like one of my goals i guess you could say is i want to feel this text for myself and feel the weight of what's being said here myself Mm -hmm. and then bring that to bear on the congregation so that they not only understand it, but they feel it. And it seems as though that, you know, the waves of sorrow, the black dog or whatever you want to call the depressive state seems to prohibit your ability to actually do that. So how do you, how, how can you, as, how do you as a pastor, which I, I think probably if any pastor was listening to this, they would probably all say, I've been there. <laughs> um, h- how do you as a pastor preach through that, you know, with that black dog following you around? Or how, how do you, um, or should you preach like that should you preach is a is a very nuanced question um should i maybe take a few weeks off and rest is one thing uh should i um not be in vocational ministry is a different thing um can i buckle it up on on saturday even though i'm having a hard time and go preach on sunday is a is a question. I think two two things come to my mind is I I find it let me rephrase that. I have come to find those waves of sorrow as great helps. I don't always feel that way in the moment. I certainly I was talking to you on Tuesday. I certainly didn't feel that way on Tuesday like I was being helped by the Lord. But I've come to recognize <laughs> <laughs> that it, it does two things. One, it helps me be careful with how I preach a passage, remembering that there are suffering people in the chairs. If I'm going, if I'm having this kind of week, and I hear the message I'm about to preach, is it is it going to land? Would it would it land on me, or would I just walk out going that preacher has no clue what my life is like? That passage has nothing to do with me because this is my situation this is my darkness this is my pit and so it has helped me at times think that way uh, for other people the other the other help has just been helped to draw me into prayer and meditation with the Lord to, to seek to get close to him and and realize I've really you come to an end of yourself and there have at the peak of those waves those swells if you will 
uh, I can look back and see there is almost always uh, that that wave out in the ocean will break, if you will, when I get abnormally low with the Lord alone. And so it's been a help in that sense that if that swell had not come, I could have easily just continued to to walk along uh, dependent upon myself, half dependent on the Lord, and and instead um, being drawn very close to Him. Uh, so there have been times. Uh, so for example, this summer I'll be taking several weeks off, and it's not a response to depression. It's not a uh, you know a response to burnout. I was supposed to take a six-week sabbatical uh, last summer, and COVID canceled that. So this week I'm taking a, a few weeks off. One of those weeks is SBC. One of those weeks is preteen camp. A couple. Wait, didn't didn't COVID give you like a a year long sabbatical? Isn't that what COVID did for are we, are, all the pastors? Are we, are we gonna have this discussion right now? I mean, we <laughs> <laughs> um, need a little humor, don't we? <laughs> been a little, been a little less than sabbatical for eighteen months. Yeah, um, <laughs> only slightly. But so yeah, so I'm I'm taking some 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 intentional. It really feels responsive. Hey, it's been a long season, so I'm taking some weeks off preaching and away from the office, and proactive. Uh, I I need rest. I'm looking forward to August. Uh, I want to come back uh, strong, energized, you know, vision focused. Uh, so go rest. Um, so I think that's important too. How often would you say you're? In this, you're go, you're cycling back and forth between this sort of uh, ebb and flow of joy in ministry versus, uh, you know, waves of sorrow. Um, it's kind of like um, it's a bit like the ocean, um, in that it's it's a bit unpredictable. In, you know, I I wish I could look and say, you know what? Every year when I get to May, I just I, I hit a wall and I have this low time. Um, but it has it has come when our church is doing the best. It has come when our church is the weakest. It has come uh, when I don't know, and uh, it's an and it is a dis, been a discernible experience. Where I can go from elated joy uh, over uh, ministry, elated joy over counseling and personal discipleship and evangelism, to for no, having so many things to rejoice over, having so many things that I'm genuinely walking in the the joy of seeing the Word work and the Spirit work, and then confusingly for some undiscernible reason in my experience just feel like my heart has been locked up in a cave and, and it's it's in darkness one of one of the things that uh, Mark Manel helps with and there's another book um, that I want to mention Zach S. Wayne's called Spurgeon's Sorrows Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer from uh, Depression uh, he he helped me a great deal, and Mano helps this way as well. He helps show 
more clear than my own experience has shown how the Psalms are helps in giving us words and uh, mm-hmm. freedom of expression, you know, accuracy in uh, metaphor, which is kind of strange. So for Psalm, like for example, Psalm sixty-nine, fifteen, that uh, Zach has mentions. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Those are those are pictures to describe feelings that you can't put words to. Psalm eighty-eight is the one of the famous ones, which is Manel's book. My soul is full of troubles. I'm a man who has no strength, like one who is set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from mm-hmm. your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. You, this is speaking to God, you overwhelm me with all your waves. Mm-hmm. And I th- that's such helpful language because you ask, well, what is it? What's going on? It's like, yes, it, it just feels like everything is a, is a wave. And... Uh, sometimes it's um, it's so sharp and discernible uh, that uh, I've I've definitely taken days off uh, where I work in the yard at home and uh, just pray and think and meditate and turn my mind off, knowing that uh, I I can't just this is not a day I can just put my my mask on. Uh, not that that's lying or deceptive. I, I don't mean that. Um, but this is not a day I can kind of go on. I need to stop. Uh, you know, like when, when you're sick, you, you take a day off work, you go to the hospital, right? When your house is on fire, you don't you don't go to work and hope someone takes care. You go home. So there have been days when the wave feels so uh, it takes all the oxygen out and you know plunges you under. I just go to a coffee shop for the day and read. Um, go. Go home, take a nap, uh, rest. Uh, but it, but it, can, it can be difficult. Uh, it, it can be, it can be heavy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're in a place where you have to kind of self-diagnose, which is uh, frustrating, challenging, is complex, and to the outsider who's looking at you. They're going, uh, well, you just decide one day that you're depressed, and so you just go home. Like, nobody else gets to do that. The engineer doesn't get to do that. Mm-hmm. So is it different for the pastor? Or what What are we saying about the pastor in those times of despair, uh, those waves of sorrow? Is it is it different for him than it is for others? That's a really good question, and the first answer is no. We have a staff handbook here that talks about days off and personal time and vacation time during the year. Um, we uh, so we we watch over that. Uh, they're uh, having a pretty small office. We're pretty flexible in uh, with our time and each other. Um. But no, it it, do, it certainly doesn't mean, you know, if you wake up and you're not feeling good today, then just stay home this week. Um, because there there are, um, in 
in the corporate world, there are those options as well, whether it's a sick day, uh, whether you take paid time off for uh, certain sicknesses or illnesses, all, all, all kinds of options. Uh, so I don't think it's different in that sense. Um, it does create, if you're not careful, especially in a small church, a kind of situation where you're not being observed and you're not being one. You could take three days off and who except for your staff notices, and if they're really busy, do they even notice? That could be dangerous. Um, you know, the kind of self-diagnosing, self-medicating, uh, if you will, um, you know, you, you kind of go, you could go even down deeper, down into, the, uh, into the wave, into the cave, if you will, um, if you're, if you're not careful. Um, uh, so I, I definitely don't think it's a kind of a license for pastors to just kind of do what they want any given day. Go play golf today. You know, I'm, 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 I'm depressed. What are you going to do? I'm going to go play golf. You know, no, that, that's not what we're saying at all. Um, but there is a watching over my own soul and, and, and another thing as well, like in our staff handbook intentionally, we, uh, you know, we say if you, uh, you know, we're, we're typically working on a 40 to 50 hour work week. If you work 10 to 20 extra hours, if you have a conference one weekend and you're away from home, if you've got three nights in a row where you're doing X, Y, Z in ministry, um, and that's part of your job, next week work 20 hours. Next week take a full day off. Uh, to make up for that time, to rest, uh, to get your family time back, to get your own time back. So some of that's built in as well that we're watching for that. Um, so that, that gives some freedom as well to um, use your time like that. I don't know. Does that help? That's kind of our situation. I don't know yeah, what, you, what your I, it experience does. has been. And I think there are some uh, some parameters that you kind of have to put around that kind of thing. But I would also you know, challenge any uh, lay member out there of a congregation or really any pastor that might be listening to, to really, to, in the same, in one sense, the pastor is doing a job and he should do that job. In another sense, the pastorate is a good bit different than a lot of other professions. Uh, As an example, if an engineer goes to work 40 hours a week or however many hours a week and 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 goes after work and cheats on his wife and then goes home um and eventually his wife divorces him after the affair is discovered mm-hmm. he goes back to work being an engineer the next day the mm-hmm. job really doesn't care what happens to his family I mean, probably in some sort of like employer-employee relationship kind of sense they do, but company-wide, it's not a policy mm-hmm. that if your wife leaves you because of your neglect of her or because of your, you know, cheating or any number of other things that you could do, um, you know, you're not you're still going to be gainfully employed here. Mm-hmm. The pastor is a good bit different in that one of the qualifications is that he manages household well. And that, that's specifically listed in the list of qualifications for a pastor, for an elder at a church. He manages his household well. Well, if that's the case, then there are times where the pastor is going to have to manage his household well. It begins mm-hmm. with him, but it doesn't end with him. 
And so there are times where he is going to have to take his kid and just spend some time with his kid or uh, spend some time with his wife or take some family time away knowing that that is part of his job. Yeah, or, or I think about it like this, that there's if I show up today and I've got uh, marriage counseling at 1 and counseling someone else who's depressed at 2.30, and that's my afternoon, and I'm in my own you know, can't get my eyes open uh, season or day. If I'm, if I'm a, let's just say, if I'm a CPA, when I go get put on numbers, I, I think I can, I can disassociate my own experience from what I've got to do. It's not always that clear. It's not always that easy. Um, if someone is experiencing depression, they don't want to go to any job, right? But there is a sense in that I can, compartmentalize to a degree, right? So on some days, I might clear out my schedule, but I'll still answer some emails, right? Or, or I'll still look at the budget. I'll, I'll still, you know, do some administrative things to make sure some things are get done. But I can't engage on the, the deeper personal level because my ministry is coming from that place. Like the counsel that I'm giving you is not, you know, reading the diagnostic statistic manual and telling you what your disease is. It's spiritual work with you. And so there have been times when I get some things done, but I reschedule uh, uh, personal meetings with people because I don't know that I have uh, to offer them what they need that day. Uh, and I don't. I, it could potentially be a disservice for me to show up and just kind of be in a fog for an hour and do my best. And sometimes, I mean, that's a battle. Sometimes you just trust the Lord. Sometimes you uh -huh. go anyway. And go, and, and that has happened many times. I walk into a counseling session, uh, walk into preaching, uh, just walk into a lunch with someone and feeling like I have nothing to give them today and come out going, man, praise God uh, for the Spirit giving words. Praise God for the Spirit bringing things to mind and, and empowering me uh, in the moment, even if I go crash as soon as it's over. Um, praise God for the help. And so that's a constant, that's a constant thing that needs wisdom. You know, can I can I trust the Lord for spiritual help in this that is not of me? Can I go visit this family tonight, even though I'm I'm done? That's a regular question of of wisdom. And sometimes the answer is yes, go. And sometimes the answer is no. You need to go home, mow the yard, and go take a nap. And uh, th that can be that that is sometimes hard to discern. Um, but I think there's grace there that we're, we're all of us, uh, pastors and anyone. We're real people trying to discern uh, our, our bandwidth, trying to trust the Lord and walk with the Lord. I think a danger becomes where you just you just kind of check out of everything. Um, there was definitely a season in my life. So I moved here in 2017, mm -hmm. uh, August of 2017, and we, I mean, we hit the ground running. There were, you know, I don't I don't want to get too uh, probably too too much into the weeds on on this part of it but um there were some significant things going on here at the time at the church and um the church had been without a pastor for about a year and a quarter probably and maybe a little longer than that almost a year and a half and so as you can imagine as churches would there's lots of things that are sort of in disarray and and stuff like that and and um, so I was already feeling some of that before in the in the process of just you know interviewing, but then 
even before I touched down on the ground in Tuscaloosa, you know, I, I was already feeling some of the phone calls and, and things like that that were um, were coming to me based on some of the things that were going on. And, mm-hmm. and so it was a, you know, relatively contentious time. And it was, um, it was, you know, I, I was a good bit nervous about what was going to happen. And um, so I, you know, we moved here. And as soon as we got into town, um, the, uh, you know, the, the intensity of the, you know, arguments and the division sort of hit us. And we started to hear every, basically every meeting that I was in, every time I was sitting down talking with somebody, it was always about somebody else. And there was mm-hmm. always something going on with this or that person. And, and so there was some drain there. And then after a little while, uh, things started to kind of turn towards me. Because obviously you come in to a situation as an outsider. And you're preaching and teaching. And I think one thing that people have in their minds when a new pastor comes in is that everything's going to change, like immediately. Everything is just going to change. And some people really want that, and some people don't. And so when, when, when the person comes in, like I came in, and my, my desire was really to just preach and to just let the word do the work and the, the sorting out and, and so on. And so I did that. Um, and I think to some that, that sort of upset them that there weren't things changing quick enough. And then maybe to others there were, uh, it, it was, um, you know, too much, too quick. Maybe, I don't know, but for whatever reason, for one reason or another, it, it, it was a position for me that I wasn't used to being in where, um, where I was the one hearing, I was hearing comments about me. I was hearing comments about our family and things like that. And my, my motives and, and stuff like that, that, that weren't true, you know? And, um, and that was really hard to hear, but I wasn't prepared for what it did to me. Uh, and I think too, for some of the sin that it revealed in me. Hmm. And so what it revealed, which I didn't think was an issue until we got here, was that I had an intense fear of man. And I, I think mm-hmm. that I probably present uh, an, sort of a, a front, maybe, uh, from an outsider's perspective, probably, mm-hmm. that I don't care what anybody thinks, or that I you know, kind of am just very blunt. And I, I do probably speak... A, a little bit straightforward sometimes. I think Nathan, you can probably attest, but um, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you're too kind. Uh, so, but I, you know, I I can speak pretty matter of factly and pretty blunt, bluntly sometimes, and I think that probably gives people the impression that that you know I don't care what anybody thinks of me, and, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, that when I started to hear comments about me or or um, things attributed negatively to me that 
sitting here right now talking to you, I can't even remember what they were, you know, but, but, um, but they were things that, that just cut me deeply and probably shouldn't have, but just Mm -hmm. because of my intense desire to have everyone like me and no one, you know, uh, hate me or anything like that. And then on the other side, feeling as though, you know, everyone, hate. I don't think that was true. I don't think everyone did hate me, but in your head, you start to create these, uh, maybe false impressions mm-hmm. that may be based on reality, but are not, are definitely caricatures of reality. And all of those things began to just swirl in my head. And so from 2000, from, from just a few months in to 2007, uh, so I got here in August of 2017, so just a few months after that, mm-hmm. probably October, maybe November, I began to, uh, what I didn't have the vocabulary for this at the time, but what uh, Mark Mental calls being in a cave or the, the, the snow, the, what was he called, the, the mind blizzard, um, <laughs> you know, I started to feel as though I was in complete isolation. And that's how it started. It was, I am all alone. There is no one who understands. And I would talk with my wife about these things. And to some degree, she would get where I was. But to some degree, she would she would speak rationally to me and mm-hmm. say, you know, that that's not true. Though that they don't think that, or they didn't say that, or they mm-hmm. don't feel that way, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead of me going, oh yeah, that's that's true, she's speaking right, I would say, she doesn't get me. And so that led to a further feeling of isolation and mm-hmm. a deepening of the darkness of the cave. That's how it started. But what happened next was... I think something that that not only caught me off guard, but is something that I, I, I couldn't have prepared myself for, which is that feeling of isolation and deep darkness became really comforting. And it was actually something that I escaped to, not escaped from. Mm-hmm. So when I would begin feeling joy and and happiness and any kind of you know bright ray of sunshine I would seek to sabotage that because it didn't feel as good as the darkness did. Mm-hmm. And it, it got it, and and I'm some of that is metaphorical, right? Yeah, Light yeah, and darkness, gonna, right? When you say darkness, you don't necessarily mean and this is important. You don't mean like some evil contemplating sin and destruction. You mean kind of uh, a, a cave, that something that is a yeah. more neutral, a morally neutral of an experience where you're just unfeeling, distant, isolated. Yes, that, that kind of darkness. Yeah. Imagine like a, a little kid might run out into the woods where his treehouse is is. And just hide out in there <laughs> and not want to be around anybody and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that, that feeling of darkness. But inside that, my own little treehouse, as it were, my own little mental treehouse, um, I also in there 
uh, relished in the idea of being alone, no one understanding me, um, being uh, different. Right. No one could relate to me. Being in that kind of position. You, you started decorating the treehouse and making a little yes. home, home there. And yeah. it's easy to come home at the end of the day and even mentally walk right through the front door, go straight through the back door and go right into the treehouse. <laughs> exactly. And so, but what happened though is, is everything was a stage of progression. So it, it starts off, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm hurt by some of these things that people are saying or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it goes to now no one understands me. Now my own wife doesn't understand me and my family doesn't get me. And now uh, I've got a little place to go to mentally where I'm, I'm quite enjoying this and kind of building, building a little home for myself in isolation. But then there is actual, it goes from metaphor to actual tangible reality where I began to really hate the daylight. I mean, the actual daylight. Mm-hmm. When we would wake up in the morning and my wife would kind of draw back the curtains and let the light into the room, I would lay in the bed with my head covered and just want to escape. Mm-hmm. And all of this actual, actually coincided from the moment we got here with a sleep issue that developed um, that is to some extent still ongoing, which is, uh, I, I wake up every morning at 2 AM. And when I say I wake up at 2 AM, I mean, within the two o'clock hour, every single morning, uh, virtually. And for the first probably year, it was every morning. And now it's probably, uh, like a week on week off kind of, kind of deal. Uh, I wake up at two it, within the two o'clock hour, and so two a.m. has kind of become a, a friend of mine. Uh, you know, I wake up, I see the clock on my nightstand it says two a.m., and you know, it's sort of like a <laughs> hey, buddy. conversation between me and two a.m. Oh, good hey, to see you. What's, again, what's right? up, man? Um, so, <laughs> um, so there was a, a extreme sleep issue which then would lead to me falling back asleep at about 5 a.m. and getting whatever, you know, cobbled together piece of sleep that I could get for the next, you know, however many hours until it was time to go to work. And so that led to a separation from the, the word itself because typically for me it was get up at 5.30, have a good cup of coffee um, or many cups of coffee, Uh read the scriptures, pray, uh, things like that, and be ready for the day, you know, and, and go to work. And now that was being removed from me because I couldn't function without any kind of sleep. And so all of this is coming together at the same time. And the progression was now I hated the actual light. And it was frustrating for me. I, I, I couldn't, um, I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the morning. I just right. wanted to stay in bed, yeah. wanted to put the covers over my head and just wanted to stay in the treehouse. And so it was at that point where I began to realize why people commit suicide. And I can't begin to say that I know every reason why people commit suicide or anything like that, but I did understand the rationale 
that would lead someone to that position. Because at some point, they, they, the darkness brings a strange comfort to them, and more so than the light does. And by light, I mean around people, encouragement, goodness, laughing, joy, spiritual life, all those things, that would be, I would put that in the camp of the light. And isolation, loneliness, um, all those things would be in the dark. And all of those things bring more comfort. That same sense, like when you're sitting around a campfire talking with friends, roasting marshmallows and sharing stories about just, you know, whatever... Uh, that sense that you have in the pit of your stomach, that feeling of like joy, that's really just hard to describe, but it's right there in the center of your chest almost. Um, that feeling of joy is there in the darkness for people that are in depression. It's that same feeling. And so when when I think when people would say, you know, when my wife would say, you know, snap out of it, it... I'm I'm like snap to what? Snap mm-hmm. to sorrow, which is in the light. Mm-hmm. I don't want to snap out of joy and into sorrow. No one wants to do that. Mm-hmm. So just like a, 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 a you know somebody like your the baby that comes home and 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 has the sleep inversion where they're awake during the night, they become nocturnal animals. That's essentially what happens to to it happened to me at least in this season of depression was I became sort of nocturnal in the sense that the 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 night I really loved and people that were in the daytime couldn't understand that how could you possibly love that love darkness and I'm like I don't understand how you can love the light and so there was this this inversion that took place and all of this broke on vacation actually mm. so this this is sort of my plug for sometimes vacation and time away does not work. <laughs> hmm. um, so it's not about a rest thing, right? Um, in it's all not cases. A, and so, it's not a whole, uh, it's, it's not a one medicine for everything. Right, correct. But it's important. So we were uh, on vacation in, I, I believe it was 2018. I could have my timeline wrong, but I think it was July of 2018, if I remember right. And uh, we were on vacation with friends, two of our, or actually a family of our best friends in the whole world. Um, we were all at a, the beach together in a beach house, which should be the pinnacle of joy and fun. And I, I fell into this. I mean, the, the cave was uh, deeper than it had ever been before. And I, to the point where the couple that was with us the family that was with us kind of started to I think wonder what was going on and sort of ask questions and I hadn't really told them any of this before and I hadn't really even told Andrea at all about this what was what was really going on like what I was really thinking and I remember it it got pretty bad to the point where Andrea was getting really frustrated with the way that I was responding and behaving and And so we were laying in bed one night, and um, she said she was just, like, asking me questions. What is going on, you know? And I said, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but 
I'm in the worst kind of darkness that I've ever been in before in my life. I, d- I don't know how to get out. And I remember this is where everything sort of changed for me. She asked me, are you scared of your own thoughts? And I remember saying to her, no, they actually bring me a lot of joy. And that is what scares me. Mm-hmm. The fact that they bring me such comfort. And it was at that moment, I don't know, I don't know really why. I can't, I could, to this day, I cannot say to you why that was the tipping point for me, why that was when it changed, other than to say that confession was bringing about so much light into the situation that the darkness had to run and hide. And I know that's crazy, lofty, metaphorical talking. <laughs> and I'm really frustrated by that more than anybody that would be listening to that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to be specific and clear, but I don't know how else to describe it. But that me saying to her, I am comforted by the darkness, which is something I'd felt but never voiced out loud before, that sort of shook me to the core, realizing that, oh my goodness, thoughts of suicide have comforted me. Thoughts of, you know, escaping to a cave and and whatever had comforted me. What kind of crazy feeling is this? Like Mm -hmm. that, that's not, that's not true. It sounds like there's a difference between being a public person and a person out in public, uh, out in the sunlight, out in your marriage, out at church with people, out at restaurants with people, and and the kind of light that is being known. Mm. You can you can be known. I have a, a I'll just hear an example. I have a dear friend uh, who I was doing discipleship with uh, in college, and he was on the worship team. Uh, Good-looking guy, plenty of people following him around, love him. He's endearing personality, charismatic personality. And he broke down in tears one morning in a shared guy's devotional and just said, I, 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 I feel so lonely. He just broke down feeling lonely. And I was like, you're the least lonely person I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's so many people around you. But he was describing everywhere I go, no one actually knows me. I'm surrounded by people, and and no one knows me. Yeah, that, that kind and the, of I darkness. think that you know the frustrating part of it with all of this was there was no specific, other than kind of wallowing in self pity, there was no specific sin that I was engaged in. You know, there's no pornography issues. There was no, you know, certainly no adultery. No, you know, no you know, even indulging in any other kinds of things. There was, there was none of that going on. Well, let me ask you this question. Did you, did you feel a, do you feel now looking back, you discern, you know, you, you said early on it, it exposed sin. And so, so looking back, how much of that do you go, this was the result of my sin, A, or B, God's way of revealing my sin be or some combination of 
my sin, God plunging me into the darkness to reveal sin, and God using this as a season of learning for years of ministry. When you look back at that time now, how do you categorize that? Sin caused God. God caused what? Um, I would, I would kind of put a category in there of saying, I'm unsure of all the depths of it, right? Mm. I, I will say there's a couple things that I'm dead sure of. One, that it it was a God ordained uh, season of suffering for me. Mm. And the reason that I know that is because, B, it did, I, I think I went from one to B, but anyway, uh, <laughs> one, two, uh, it did reveal sin to me. And, you know, I don't think it's like disqualifying sin or anything like that. I think it was sin of just fear of man, of things that a, a pastor needs to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And so it was those kinds of, of sins coming to the fore where I was intensely afraid and, you know, desperately seeking approval by people that were new to me that I didn't know. And uh, so it it revealed those things to me. It also revealed my own uh, proclivity toward self-pity and isolation and darkness, and that you, Christian, you, pastor, can actually be uh, intrigued by the darkness. You can actually be drawn to the dark. And so I think it was, it was God-ordained. There are seasons, there are times where some of those things start to come back, but I think a lot of those things that it brought out were are helpful in the battle against it. Mm -hmm. Um, It showed me a lot of like my, even my own, like as much as I preach the word, even my own um, sometimes unhappiness with the word of God or, or whatever. And, um, and so it, it revealed a lot of those things to me. In, in the midst of the season. So I can say unequivocally, God ordained, absolutely. Brought about by my own sin, uh, sure. My own sin was revealed in the midst of this. So that there were certainly catalysts along the way that pushed it deeper and deeper and deeper. So while it's brought about by the sovereign hand of the Lord, it was also part of my own doing, you know? And... Yeah. Um, and I think God's intentions in it were good, and my intentions in it were evil. Mm. And so I think those two came together at the same time, and mm. as, as I think everything does. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I can look back on it with some twisted sense of fondness of saying, you know, the Lord brought me through that to some degree. And no, I mean, to every degree he did, but... but right. Not all, I'm not all the way through it, I, w- I would say, um, as if it's no longer there, you know. Um, but I kind of now think of it more like the black dog is sort of in a, in a kennel for the most part, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But he's on my back porch, and I, mm-hmm. I see him. You know, he's <laughs> there, and uh, it still whines for food every once in a while. And so, 
um, it, it's kind of that situation. And so I think I can look back on it with fondness. The Lord has, has brought me through it to one degree or another. But then I also would never go back there to save my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it, it just, I do, I don't want to go back there for any reason whatsoever. And so, yeah, I, I'd say that's kind of the situation at least. There, this is interesting too, that I, I think both you and I, both over the years and today, if you just take some time to, to talk it out, right? Especially out of it, sometimes even in it, sometimes even in the very middle of it, that Christians by the Spirit and by the Word will get to a place of thankfulness for that season. And not like you said, not in a way of like, oh, I love depression. I can't wait to be depressed again because I'm going to learn a lesson. I mean, that's that's kind of twisted. But being able to be, to see good that has happened, right? That's one of the most common passage I'll discuss, which you kind of referenced, is the passage Genesis 50 when God, when, uh, Joseph is speaking to his brothers what God meant for evil you meant for uh, what you meant for evil God meant for good let me let me be careful there uh, and how that's depicted on the cross itself right Pontius God had gathered together Pontius Pilate and the Pharisees and the Jews to crucify Christ in order to accomplish the plan uh, that he had willed so that these men had evil intentions God had superseding good intentions and I'm even uh, reading uh, in the book uh, called Providence by John Piper, and he's talking about how Satan unwittingly walks into God's plans by putting a thorn in the in Paul's side, which God you know he prays and it won't go away. And Paul mentions twice that thorn there was a messenger of Satan, but a tool of God to help me from being prideful. And it's God is in it, doing something. And you can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't know it, you can't, you probably can't even believe it on some days. Um, but it, it reveals, it's like fire, putting gold in fire. It, it refines, it takes out dross, it, it removes things. Um, but sometimes, I, you, I can't even, sometimes when that swell has come over me, I, I don't even want to believe that hope. I, I'm almost offended by it. Because it, it's it's ju- hope becomes a judgment on me, in a sense. That to tell me to be hopeful, God's working, God's going to do all these things, ends up proving. And tell me if you think this is your experience. Some ends up proving I have crossed the line from a wave of sorrow the Lord has plunged me in in order to reach out and cry out to Him and to sharpen me. And I've crossed over into sin of bitterness and idol holding and coveting and protecting. Because when you give me hope, it offends me. And I don't want it. And I would much rather sit here in the darkness and hold on to these things. Because there's hubris there, there's pride there, there's self-confidence there. And, and there's no accountability there. Me. Yeah. Oh, there's no sure. accountability there. there yeah. There's So I can wallow in self-pity and stay in the darkness and retreat to my hideout if I want to. Mm-hmm. And there, no one will correct me. No one will come in and say, you're in sin, you're being selfish, you're... No one will do that. 
And so I can stay there forever, and no one in the darkness will ever say to me, uh, you know, you should really snap out of this. This is mm-hmm. not good for you. Mm-hmm. Or at least, ask some, at least ask some questions. Right. You don't, no you, you don't have to make suggestions yet. Just say, well, do you really think that's true? Yeah. And is that, yeah. does Scripture say anything else about that? Just, even just yeah. wonder with you out loud. Right. And it was interesting that, like, after all of this, so this, this moment for me of just kind of confessing to Andrea coming out of that season, um, the Lord provided uh, a group of guys later who, not initiated by me, uh, basically came to me and guys in our church and said, you know, can we just, you know, gather around you and just meet and just talk to you and, and just uh, see how you're doing and, and things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, for someone who had felt like they're in isolation and prayed that the Lord would relieve the isolation, um, it was an answer to prayer. Hmm. And it was such an in, intense help that I don't even think they knew. They ha- I don't think they had much of a, of a clue um, about how much of an answer to prayer that really was. Mm-hmm. And it was to me, I, I went home after, you know, having, you know, somebody say that to me or ask me that, um, went home and just, you know, wept over the, the fact that the Lord had answered the prayer in that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it, you know, it, for me, I, 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 I can, anytime somebody sits in my office and says, look, I'm dealing with depression or dealing with, um, you know, any other kind of mental issue, any other mental disorder or whatever, spiritual disorder, it's, uh, it's a serious deal. I don't, I, the counseling, I think, is, is really helpful, mm-hmm. gathering people around to tell you that the things that you're believing are false is immensely valuable. And for, and for honestly, just for people, because I know that there are people that listen to this stuff that 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 are are in the pew and and don't know what to do. And I think this is probably something that we should bring out: is what do you do in the pew if you're uh, you you realize this is going on? And you know, one of the things that is most helpful, I think, more than anything, is to actually have a backbone and realize I might be a lay Christian, I might be in the pew, and I don't have a, a role in the church of like being in the pulpit, but I can call out sin. I am given that, you know, when I see it, I can call out sin. And I think having that kind of backbone to even say to the pastor, if necessary, I think what you're doing right now is sinful, um, is, is really is good, is helpful you know, and mm-hmm. it, it, it needs to be done, you know, with care and mm-hmm. certainly with caution, yeah. but it, it does need to be done. Yeah, and I would, I mean, I would just say for anyone listening, I think we would all agree, you, me, everyone, when immediate, when, when first approached, whether it's about sin or sorrow or anything that we have turned from experiencing to protecting we're we're probably going to be immediately offended. Why would you think I need help? What do you what do you think I'm doing so wrong that you have to come help me? We we have this pride 
that we've built up. But then on the flip side, we remember the, um, the, the, the bruises of a friend are better than the kisses of your enemy. And we're so grateful that someone cared enough to come ask a hard question and, and, say, and say a hard truth. That's one of the biggest difficulties of it, is that you come to somebody, a Christian friend of yours or a pastor or whoever, and you say, I think what you're doing is sinful right now, and you begin to counsel them. The initial reaction is, you know, quite frequently going to be negative. And that's the fearful part for Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. as a Christian, is that that first interaction is going to be a negative one. Mm -hmm. But then if that person is a Christian, over time, they will begin to see what you're saying. The Lord will bring about repentance in their life, and you just have to trust that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. that over time, the Lord will bring about repentance mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. person's life. And it's, mm-hmm. it may take a year, it may take more, it may take some, it may take days, who knows? Right. But the Lord will bring about repentance. It's going to be slow, it's mm-hmm. going to be methodical, but it will happen. Mm-hmm. And in the end, that person will be saved, you know, mm-hmm. rather than lost in the darkness. And so I think yeah. that's a, incredibly valuable. I think we could spend a, a long time talking about how the, the Bible ad- addresses this. Maybe we even give more time to that later. But it does it does bring a couple passages to mind. One of them is just the whole book of Job. We mm-hmm. need to remember the book of Job is not about chapter 1. Typically we think about Job as the book where God took everything away from Job, and mm-hmm. Job still worshiped God, preached the sermon, we've nailed it, be, be faithful. But Job's biggest problem is his friends. He yeah. show up and accuse him and test his theology and his thinking about God and are certain that Job has done some sin and that's why he's experienced all of these things. And how prideful Job must be to believe that God would bring this about in his life even if he had done no sin. There, and it's a, it's a theology clash uh, between friends when one of them is experience, experiencing immense suffering. That's what the, that's what the book book of Job is about. He has he has no help, and and how great is it for us to come test our thoughts not only about our sinfulness for for sure. Is there sin in your life? Is, is there hubris in your life? Is there bitterness toward other people in your life? Is there uh, you know a, a self righteousness in your life? We we need to be asked those questions, but we also need to be testing our thoughts about God and thinking you know are you thinking rightly about God's about God's promises, and that what what He says actually does change things uh, in your life, and that's it's not always a quick medicine, right? It's not always get an IV and go home. It can be a a a a, a slow healing coming out of depression at times, but that but that really becomes the only only medicine. It, there's a Spurgeon sorrows Zach Eswin. There's a, a sentence that says relief comes because promise fuels realistic hope. Such, quoting Spurgeon here, such hope kindled by a divine promise affects the entire life of a man in his inmost thoughts, ways, and feelings. Which I think is saying all of the thoughts, ways, and feelings where depression 
be it God's wave of sorrow and despair, be it the fruit of your own sin or a mixture of the two, God's promises touch all the thoughts, ways, and feelings that you're going through. It, it affects all of them. And there, there, there is, there really is no other answer. Uh, we need to be, we need to be careful with our diets. We need to be careful. I, my diet can significantly affect uh, many things: sleep, rest, fellowship, play, you know, medicine, uh, you know, laughter being a medicine. There, there are so many things that help. But deep down, way in the depths of the ocean, are the promises of God which control every wave. Uh, so coming coming back to that, y- you may need to take a vacation. I, I might need to take a couple weeks off preaching, but that's a helpful rest in order to get back to the promises of God uh, in, in a deep, deep, deep way. Um, there's one other passage. That y- y- you know the, um, um, the poem, Footprints? Yeah, you know, <laughs> why do you say it like that? It kind of goes back to our Christian music, <laughs> but go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. So, in Psalm seventy-seven, <laughs> hey, hang, hang with me. You know, I it's kind of it's a corny, it's a bit of a corny poem. It feels dated. But there's a there's a truth that actually comes from scripture. I think I think I know helpful. it by heart. Actually, my mom had it hanging on the wall. I oh, memorized really? it when I was a little kid. Yeah, I think it's it doesn't start in deepest sleep one night I dreamed. Is that right? Uh, that Psalm seventy-seven. Oh, you mean the footprints no, poem? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know the poem. I've I don't know. I have no idea. They, why did you bring it up? Because it relates. <laughs> Because it really, there's a passage of scripture that actually I don't says, remember the poem. I don't really know it, but it relates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just remember the pictures. Oh, there's always a picture of footprints on the beach. So you, right? you should have said, "Have you ever seen footprints on the, in the sand?" Okay, but that's that's not what I had in mind. I had in mind the poem with the picture. The poem and that you don't know. I it's don't one, remember. but it's Go only ahead. one set of footprints. Remember, it's only one set of footprints. My point is, Psalm 77 is a psalm about um, crying out to the Lord in the in the day of trouble. Uh, the the person experiencing trouble from their enemies, the person experiencing sorrow, crying out to the Lord. And one of the things he says in Psalm 77, verse 19 through 20, he says, "Your way was through the sea." Re- he's remembering back the crossing of the Red Sea. Your way was through the sea, which I think is a, it's a metaphor for God's way was through the ocean, through the, through the impossible, through the depths, uh, the depths that ended up drowning the Egyptians. Your ways, or your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet, the psalmist says, your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. I, that's a great comfort uh, for us, uh, whether you put it in a poem or not. That you, wh- where's God? Where's God at the Red Sea? He's everywhere. He's the only thing that's getting them across the Red Sea. Where are God's footprints? I don't, I don't know. There, are God, there, there are no footprints here. It's, a, it's a metaphor. It's, it's helping us under think about our own waves of sorrow 
our own seas of despair, our own challenge, our, our own sea problem of our own sin. Uh, God is there unseen. That's a great encouragement. And uh, I, I, for one, have had times when I have crossed the line, and that hope being offensive, uh, which is a great sign. I've gone from despair into sin. And uh, but what a, what a great hope if we'll uh, humble ourselves and uh, recognize the Lord is humbling us uh, to accept His grace, His strength, His forgiveness of sin, the the hope of the cross and the resurrection, that it will actually become palpable for us and affect our lives. What a great hope. Amen. for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.